Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. Uh, it's a spooky Halloween edition, um, and we're going to be talking about a very cool topic, the future of psychedelics. Um, with us is a business attorney uh, and special counsel at Miller Nash uh, Law Firm in Los Angeles, Jody Green. Jody, thank you for being with us on Future of XYZ. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Very excited to be here on this special spooky edition. Well, I mean, it's it's funny because, of course, psychedelics aren't really spooky unless you've had a bad trip. <laughs> um, in which Fair case, point. It's, a, it's a whole different thing. But I mean, I think we should probably start. I mean, you have a lot of experience. Obviously, you started working with insurance companies early in your career. You pivoted into like helping insurance companies and the industry regulate in like kind of the rise of the legalization of marijuana and cannabis. And now you're working also in psychedelics and you sit on lots of boards and thing uh, associations. Like, can we just start with like, what are psychedelics? <laughs> Sure. And and just to clarify on that, um, for most of my career, I did work for insurance companies. My job now is to work for um, policyholders and, and people within, within the industry. So with a focus on cannabis, psychedelics, and emerging risks, but I, I do work for all, all sorts of companies, entrepreneurs, founders, startups, whatever the case may be. Um, that's, that's what I love You're to do. You're in this emerging people- world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so good question. What are psychedelics? I think that that is a an issue that is open to debate to debate even to the you know scientific scholars, which I am not. <laughs> um, you know, I think to caveat as well, right? Um, any of the discussion points today, the opinions stated are my own. They are not of my firm. Um, this is not legal advice, uh -huh. and I am not a medical specialist or a scientist, even though we will talk a bit about current and, and historic medical and scientific research. Awesome. Um, so to answer your question, uh, psychedelics are, uh, well, let's break it down to its components. Um, so psyche, delos, right? I know you're a lover of words like I am. Uh, means mind manifesting. Uh, and that was a term that was coined many, many years ago um, in reference to the capabilities of psychedelics to open up one's mind. Um, in general, when you talk about psychedelics, we're talking about um, drugs that affect a certain receptor. Uh, and so- In the brain. In the brain or, well, actually serotonin receptors in general. So those are Called, you'll hear this a lot if you listen to other podcasts or look at the research on psychedelics. Uh, these receptors are uh, called 5-HT2 uh, receptors, and they are found actually in the brain, but also in the gut significantly. And so that, you know, there is that mind-gut connection that is very significant and we hear about quite a lot. Um, and so when we talk about psychedelics, we are usually referring to the classic psychedelics that affect those 5-HT2A receptors, and that includes things like uh, psilocybin and different varieties of that, uh, which- Ma some, Magic mushrooms. Some people might call magic mushrooms. 
Uh, things like LSD, which again is a synthetic compound that was discovered accidentally by Albert Hoffman way back in the 1950s. Um, and other things like uh, DMT um, and, uh, and so on, right? And then we have other compounds that might be included and lumped within psychedelics, things that we hear about a lot now, like ketamine, uh, which does not affect the 5-HT2A receptor, um, and MDMA. Mm -hmm. And and can I just also ask, because obviously in the magic mushroom LSD world, there's also all of the kind of like, let's call it the spiritual, as you said, the mind, you know, <clears throat> manifesting, I think you said it is, you know, it's like, it, um, I think there's obviously like the ayahuasca and, you know, um, I'm trying to think of back to my, <laughs> to my teens when these things mattered, but, you know, um, the, the various naturally occurring that were largely used in indigenous populations for kind so of peyote, masculine, yes, mm -hmm. peyote, yeah. masculine, exactly. Are yeah, those absolutely. also considered psychedelics? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Um, each, each one of those molecules affects different receptors in different ways. Most of them do um, interplay with the 5-HT2A receptor. Um, and they they have mind-altering and mind-manifesting capabilities as well. So yeah, I think these days we hear a lot about things like ayahuasca, right? Because of popular media. Yes, um, yes. I'm from Wisconsin. So very, uh, you know, was very intrigued when we heard, you know, reports about a, a fairly famous, you know, Packer football uh, player uh, talking about, you know, doing ayahuasca retreats and how that affected performance. So I, I'm, yeah, um, kind of amazed by the mood of the nation these days in terms of what's happening with uh, our idea of what psychedelics are and what they can do. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, I think that's the, the, the interesting question. Like, why do people, and I want to come back to the fact that cannabis was not listed there, but why do people take them and to what effect? Oh my, well, <laughs> yeah, I think we're getting into some, some interesting things, somewhat subjective, of course. Um, if we, we talk about the majority of the scientific research um, and the interest is is largely because it is they are mood affecting. Um, they affect cognitive abilities, um, are significant in terms of you know potentially treating um, mental illnesses, um, and that's where we're seeing a lot of the the important scientific research these days is surrounding the impact on the brain and and subsequent effects. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I I'm just so pleased to see that we're having these conversations right now and that there are so many different clinical trials proceeding. Um, it, it isn't, you know, just hippies and, and butterflies and rainbows and, you know, things like that. Uh, we're having a much deeper conversation, which is very important. Well, and, and it has all of this, I mean, you talk about the mood of the nation. Obviously, this isn't just a U.S.-based thing, although that's where you practice law. Um, I, and I think you're barred in both <laughs> California and Illinois. Um, but I do want to just understand a little bit from your perspective how this has happened and like, why is it, why are societal norms changing and how are they evolving? Mm -hmm. Like a bunch of clinical trials and chances at dispensaries. And I mean, this is this is <clears> happening <throat> very, very quickly, it feels like. Yeah. And, you know, it, I think to break that down a little bit, we probably have to go back to pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen things change quite a lot in society over the last several years. 
Um, we've found people, you know, having to be stuck at home, not being able to leave their house, not having any human interaction. Uh, as as people, we need that connection to, to thrive. And I think that um, people turn to, to other options, right? Um, and this might've been a way, you know, using psychedelics uh, and other things like cannabis, which, you know, is legal in the majority of states these days. And, um, it, you know, I think that that was a way to escape in some ways and to heal. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why we find ourselves in part in, in this place where we are um, really having a revolution of sorts. Um, uh, we are, you know, kind of coming full circle back to like the 1950s and 60s um, before the Controlled Substances Act was put into effect and, and put, you know, a damper on all of the beautiful scientific research that was going on. Uh, we've come all the way back uh, <laughs> and we're starting over um, and looking back to all these studies and, and things that happened uh, way back in the 50s and 60s um, and in learning once again, right? Um, what is fake news about what psychedelics are and what they can do um, and, and finding out that there, there are amazing things. Um, yeah. And this is interesting because obviously you're approaching uh, both cannabis, but psychedelics specifically from a legal standpoint, right? But there is a commercial, as you say, you advise startups and entrepreneurs as well as the big companies and, and the insurance companies as well. Like there is obviously some, um, there is a commercialization and market opportunity aspect to this. And then there is the health, let's call it benefits that are being proven mm -hmm. out, whether those are, I don't know, pain relief or mental health, you know, uh, relief or various other things. Um, what do you attribute kind of this change to? And do you think it is more, again, a commercial opportunity that is feeding kind of the science or do you think the science is feeding the commercial opportunity? Yeah, I think it's the latter. Um, certainly as Americans, uh, many of us have a profit motive and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's perfectly fine. Um, the roots of psychedelics, when we talk about things like ayahuasca and peyote in particular, right, go back thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah. Longer than we can even possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, and these were things that were used in healing and in spiritual ceremonies in order to bring people um, more connected. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, it again, kind of going back to what I was talking about before the, the nation, it, many of us are, you know, did and probably are going through something of an existential crisis. We've seen uh, the great resignation, right? People are just not putting up with the status quo. If they're not happy with what they're doing, they realize there can be more. And how do we find out what that is? Well, we need to reconnect with ourselves uh, in a way to do that. Um, and I think, you know, with the mental health crisis going on in this world, right, there are so many billions of Americans and people throughout you know, other countries suffering from mental health issues. And, you know, the current treatment modalities are are not really favorable, right? You think SSRIs, these are drugs that people will have to take every day for the rest of their life. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, if you will. And then right? just, and you're feeding the pharmaceutical companies, so. And you're feeding, <laughs> yes, the pharmaceutical companies. And I have a long history of experience uh, evaluating, you know, sort of the, the liabilities associated with pharmaceutical products. And um, 
they're dangerous. Uh, they are necessary in some ways um, and, and sometimes very helpful, um, but we have to be mindful of what other options are out there. Um, and a lot of the times we find that there are op options out there that are somewhat absconded from us because, you know, there isn't a huge lobby pushing them into the mainstream right. media, right? Like nobody's making money off of certain things and that's why they're not coming to be. And I, I get that we're kind of circling back to the question that you asked, which is why and sort of, you know, the chicken or the egg. Yeah. Uh, uh, I do think the what I will call the psychedelic revolution was driven in part by, like I said, mental health crisis. We are suffering. We are all suffering Absolutely. in certain ways. I, I think that's very and true. Something like 82% of Americans right now have like a diagnosable mental illness. It's like, it's, it's just shocking. And, it's an, and globally, it's, an, it's not much better. It's an incredible number. And I'm sure it's probably higher than what the actual research shows. Yeah. Um, and so... I think that drove some of the research to move forward. Um, partly, maybe this was, you know, the interest in psychedelics resurgence was driven by um, an acceptance of cannabis, at least statewide. And, and I will, it, there are some parallels and there are some differences. I'm not using that as a, a direct analogy to psychedelics, but cannabis being another schedule one substance, right, under the Controlled Substances Act, so federally illegal, um, has certainly made its path over the last five, six years into the mainstream in a way that, you know, we wouldn't have expected years ago. Um, and maybe that has changed minds, right, in a way that governments um, and politicians are less fearful. Um, and so that has given room for this body of medical and scientific evidence to grow um, for those seeds to to grow. And and so, yeah, we, we, we see all of uh, this significant body of scientific evidence growing, clinical trials happening. Um, and then yeah, as, those, as those things are happening, I think what you were asking is, you know, the commercialization of it. Um, the, commer the commercialization part is, you know, part and parcel of the drug development process. So as clinical trials proceed through the FDA, the end game, right, is that these things will be approved, they will be mass produced, they will be available, and this will be a commercial, you know. Available. And they will be regulated. And they will be regulated, absolutely. Um, and we've seen an investing frenzy of, of sorts over the, you know, probably starting in about 2019. Yeah. Um, it, lots of news about psychedelic stocks and people buying into these drug development companies, uh, which is fine. It's just that you know, I think we have to be <laughs> aware that this process is um, anything but a, a short one, right? Yeah. It, you know, the drug development process, it Absolutely. takes many, many years. It is, it is, it is not a sure thing. Um, and so... It, yeah, there's a lot of questions about what will what will the outcome be of of these things, and and what will happen if certain drugs get approved by the FDA? Well, does that mean then that certain other things will not be available on the state level in the way that cannabis has been regulated, right? Um, and so why is why is it legal questions? Yeah, and and let's talk about another one. Like, why is it that this is like? I mean, okay, so let's talk for the U.S. for the second. Like, mm -hmm. there's sure. a difference between state and federal. And then somehow there's like the cross state online e-com. And then let's talk about like yeah. 
Canada, Europe, rest of the world, like, and how this plays. Cause these are all different legal experiences. Yeah. Okay. So to, to break down the U S because that's what I am most familiar with. Um, obviously we have federal law, which still, you know, ev every single psychedelic substance I talked about is still on schedule one. That means it's federally illegal. Um, so if, if you're cross taking it or distributing it, you are, it's a criminal offense. That's correct. Under federal law. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, obviously the caveat or the carve out to that is if drugs do go through the you know, approved drug de develop drug development process, then they can, you know, become allowed, you know, through prescription, through medical channels. Yeah. Um, on the state side, right, we currently, there is one state that has um, legalized in part um, certain psychedelics, actually one psychedelic. So Oregon is the first state in the U.S. that has legalized um, the manufacture and use and um, production of psilocybin mm. um, and a, a very specific uh, mushroom, psilocybin cabanus. There are many different mushrooms that contain psilocybin, by the way. Um, and so it, it has, it's very discreet uh, with its regulation. And this, this is um, going to go into effect next year. So applications will be available for companies choosing to participate in that process starting uh, in January. Uh, when clinics actually open is, is a question, right? It, it'll depend on how quickly the application process moves. Um, but Oregon was the first state to do this and it will be available not in a dispensary model like cannabis, but through clinics. So okay. you'll have to go to a clinic and receive treatment with- Like a methadone type distribution. I don't know that I would call it that. It, it's more um, like a mental health treatment facility, but these are not going to be licensed doctors or psychotherapists, but they will be licensed facilitators. So practitioners that go through an approved training process through, with the state of Oregon uh, will be there to uh, provide integration. So um, once you have, you know, you'll receive uh, psilocybin in the clinic, uh, you might receive some preparatory counseling or discussion in advance. Someone will sit with you during your session. So you have to receive the treatment in the clinic. You can't take it home with you. Um, and then, you know, there will be a subsequent integration session where you can again meet with your <clears throat> uh, facilitator and talk through the experience. So it is more of a, it's much different from cannabis or, or something like methadone where you just, they give you a pill and you go home. Um, it's much more mental health. health counseling, it sounds like, but it's also, I mean, yet again, it opens up a whole new channel, both for commerce, for potential fraud, for regulation, for mm -hmm. let's call it standardization. I mean, this mm -hmm. is complex. No wonder, no wonder you're special counsel on, on these topics, because it is actually a very nascent, um, I, I, I want to say industry because it's not yet an industry. It's just, it's just a nascent and emerging <laughs> opportunity. It is. Yeah, those are good words. Um, <laughs> and that's exactly the words I would use um, because a lot of my practice has focused on things that are emerging and, and unfamiliar, right? And mm -hmm. so people are grappling with, you know, how to structure regulations. Um, there's always tension. If you think about cannabis, using that as an example that we're familiar with now, tension between um, putting in enough regulation to make people safe, right? Which is what yeah. the government wants to do. They want to make sure people are safe, yeah. um, but also allow businesses to thrive. Um, and there's, you know, that's a huge challenge, um, especially when we're dealing with things that maybe people are not familiar with, right? 
Um, but I think everyone in the you know psychedelic community and, and otherwise are very excited to see and are watching uh, with bated breath uh, to see what happens in Oregon and how things go. Um, my suspicion is that once Oregon rolls out its clinical programs and we've you know discovered that you know, nothing catastrophic is going to happen, mm -hmm. that we'll see other states uh, implement similar programs or there's legislation pending in, in different places that have you know similar concepts uh, that has, hasn't passed yet. Um, and I know we kind of like, there are so many things to talk about on the states. I, yeah. I didn't even get into. Well, I was just going to ask. That have, uh, is there anywhere in the world that is legal? What's that? Is there anywhere in the world where psychedelics are legal? Uh, Jamaica. Um, I know that Amsterdam is, uh, it's essentially sort of a, a hands-off policy by the government. Um, and yeah, I think uh, the you know the rest of the world is sort of in the, in a holding pattern in the same way that that the U.S. is, um, and um, but yeah, there you know you you can go to a psychedelic retreat in Jamaica. There are places that you can go and do that um, and legally. <clears throat> and 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 so I want to give us a chance, Jody, to wrap up with any last thoughts you have. But I want to ask one final question on that. There is this like I I picture like I you know I'm in New York City. And I go to a store or one of these trucks that's driving around and selling, you know, cannabis products. The labeling is totally not standardized, right? The ingredients are not standardized. The dosing is not standardized, right? None of it feels, it feels like a total free-for-all. It's like, you know, it's like walking into like, uh, I don't know, like uh, a tag sale, you know, or a flea market, <laughs> but of just like, you know, drug products, which could be really dangerous. <laughs> I, I kind of feel that way about like, this becomes even more of that mm -hmm. if it's done in the same way as cannabis. And that concerns me a tiny bit. Is Am I, am I, do you have any of these feelings about the future of psychedelics or, or are you like, just like this will get taken care of? Well, you 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 mentioned a few things that are interesting. So New York, <laughs> trucks that are driving around selling things, they're not doing that legally. So once the regulated um, system is in place in New York, um, there will be testing requirements. There will be labeling requirements. It won't be like going into the dollar store and picking up random stuff off the shelves and, you know, not being sure what you're actually putting into your body. That's the you know, that's the purpose behind regulation is to make people feel safe. And, and I do think it's important to have that, to be educated as consumers, right? You want to know what you're putting in your body. Um, and so I do think that, you know, as regulation works its way through the states and, you know, potentially through the FDA, um, there will be guidance. It will be, you know, subject to certain rules that People know what they're getting, right? Um, and and I think that's important because, you know, we have a variety of different types of consumers on the market. If you think about psychedelics, and you know, early on you might have mentioned, you know, people using illegal products, right? No. That's certainly there is a black market out there. There's a black market. I, I don't like to use the word black market, an illicit market, yeah. right? There's an illicit market for cannabis and many many other things as well. Notwithstanding the fact that there's legal regulation of products. Um, that will probably always exist. You know, there will always be people using pro uh, items and plants for spiritual use, even if there's a regulated market. 
Um, and those things are not labeled, right? But there is a history of how to use those things. And um, that makes people feel comfortable and familiar. Yeah. Um, yeah so I think, I think what you identified is a tension between certain segments of the population that might want more regulation and want more structure and want more safety um, and a certain se segment of the population that might say, you know what, <laughs> I don't need that. Like, I don't want to pay more money to go to a clinic when I can go do this myself. And my hope is that for the future of psychedelics, we'll see both continue to thrive, right? There will be options available for our grandmas that want to go to a clinic and have what they feel is a safe experience. Um, and there will, you know, be certainly options available for people who just want to go up in the mountains by themselves and eat some plants, right? Um, fair, fair, there, fair. there should be both. Fair enough. Um, Jody, we're out of time, but I did, um, is there anywhere that people can go to, to learn more about kind of what's happening or, or, or resources that you can recommend? Oh my, there are a lot of resources out there. I think if anybody just puts in, you know, psychedelics and the law, you, you'll get a lot of different resources. Um, certainly you're welcome to follow me on LinkedIn. I post almost daily on things that I find interesting, including what's happening in the law of psychedelics. So Jody S. Green on LinkedIn and the real Jody Green on Instagram, if that's your thing. Um, so certainly feel free to follow me, send me a DM. If you have questions, I'm happy to, you know, provide direct resources for any specific issue because there's a lot out there. And as we mentioned, right, psychedelics comprise a huge body of different things. Yes. So, um, you know, it, it really depends on what people are looking for. But um, I think, you know, we'll be following the news very closely. Uh, lots of reports in the media about what's going on. Um, and I'm personally very excited. So thank you very much for having me today. Um, it's wonderful. It's a, I feel like it's a really rich conversation. Jody, thanks for sharing your expertise on the future of psychedelics with uh, all of us at Future of XYZ. Thank you. Uh, and for everyone watching or listening, um, I feel very spooky today. I don't know what's going on with my camera. Jody's too. There's definitely I know. something in this. <laughs> There's a bit of a haze. <laughs> There's a haze happening. I don't know. It's uh, it's yeah. it's and I'm like way too sharp for for reality today. So um, obviously psychedelic indeed on Halloween. But um, thanks everyone for paying attention. Uh, if you don't already subscribe to Future of XYZ, make sure you do uh, either on YouTube or anywhere you get your favorite podcast. Uh, we're going to be coming back in 2023 stronger than ever with uh, new guests. If you want to nominate someone, visit future-of.xyz. Uh, you can access all of our episodes there, and you can also send an email to nominate yourself or another guest. Um, Jody Green, thank you so much on the future of psychedelics. Everyone, happy Halloween and have a good week. See you next one. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to The Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.